0: everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Lightcraft Physical Security Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Bally. And my guest today is Russ Law, founder and executive vice president of Forensics. Now, Russ, the last time we talked, we had a really interesting chat about some of the mistakes that can sabotage an investigation. So as it's kind of related to security and investigations in the corporate world, what is the one thing that you would like to see practitioners stop doing?
1: Well, first of all, thanks, Rob, for having me on. It's a real pleasure to be here. I appreciate it. With regard to investigations in a corporate setting, there's a a big kind of divide as to the philosophy of those types of conversations that you need to have to do investigative interviews. Law enforcement, you're doing interrogations and you have authority to do something if people are not cooperating in those investigations. In a corporate setting, the people who you're interviewing are your teammates. They're extended version of your your team because they're your colleagues. Some example, they are executives in the in the the organization. And so you have to take that into account when you're having a conversation with them that You might be going to the same conference as them in a few months, or you might be seeing them in the lunchroom tomorrow. And so you can't just go in and say, you know, shine a light in their eyes and say, okay, you know, here's how it's going to be. It has to be a a very focused, but a very non-adversarial conversation, even though a lot of times you're talking to somebody who is potentially going to be fired after this conversation because you're investigating one thing or the other.
0: A slightly more softer, cuddlier approach. (laughs)
1: <laughs> cuddly. <laughs> the or cuddly perp. corporate yeah. the cuddly corporate security person yeah. no i mean it's it's it i laugh, but you know in a way you really do have to kind of pull out your diplomacy hat and say okay here's how we're going to approach this because we've got a job to do we've got to figure out who did this in this particular situation but we don't want to necessarily alienate somebody And we don't want it getting back up to management that, hey, you know, your security team really did a scary interrogation of my staff. You don't want to leave kind of a a bunch of chaos in your wake of unhappy managers and unhappy employees. But that also is, you know, getting to know the business and and viewing yourself as a, a part of the business and not this kind of side agency that is making sure the business doesn't screw up which I think a lot of security professionals do. What what I was
0: thinking of in in your answer is if I was imagining myself in a law enforcement kind of role, I don't really need to worry about the fallout from an an interrogation or, or anything like that if I destroy a particular relationship. But in the corporate context, first thing I'm thinking of is something like employee turnover. If you've got a security team going around doing these hard nose interrogations anytime something comes up. Yeah, you might reduce
1: theft in some way, but you're going to have a lot of people quit. That's, that's precisely right. It's really interesting to peer into different company cultures. I've talked to security directors from Fortune 50 companies that are huge retail companies and have an awful lot of shrink. We're talking tens of millions of dollars per year, and they have a very hands-off approach to any type of accusatory interviews or anything like that, the optics that the management wants to portray can sometimes just flat get in the way of security doing what it's tasked to do. And that can be a a very frustrating experience for people in security. It's gotten a lot more attention over the past few years, I would say, than it ever had before.
0: It's interesting too that you mentioned in the last couple of years, it's become a bigger issue because the, the power that labor has at this point or any particular employee has completely shifted in the past couple of years with the unemployment rate, I don't know, whatever it is, like 5%, 6%. Mm-hmm. If I feel like I'm being unfairly treated by management, there's like 10 other offers down the street or whatever. I can just walk across the street. I don't have to put up with any kind of BS from the security team if I'm
1: upset about that. Right, you're just going to walk away. I think that's happening more and more. And it's kind of struck a lot of fear into a lot of management teams that we can't even hire anybody to fill these positions. It, and it's almost like a self fulfilling prophecy of bad things going to happen because what ends up happening is you have this chain reaction of management says, okay, we have to fill these spots and we're not going to wait on background checks anymore. We're not going to do any screening. And so they end up hiring people who are not the best hires. And then when an incident occurs and occurs more often, the security team is a little bit neutered and can't go after the people who they need to go after because management's so afraid of losing people. And what ends up happening is that you actually are creating this kind of, it creates kind of this negative culture within your organization that people feel like there's nobody in control. And I feel like security, the, the role of security kind of nudges that feeling of accountability and keeps things on track a bit uh, when they're doing their job right.
0: One of the key words there that I clued to was process-driven. I think that's kind of a nice transition to, at this point, I would be thinking, okay, what are some tips, Russ, that maybe that you could offer listeners to actually uh, implement this philosophy of, of considering more the employee experience?
1: I would say to stay curious about the business as probably the, the best advice that I would give anybody. And and I, I go back to, you know, my comments about the, the oil business. I mean when I first started at ExxonMobil I I went and bought a copy of The Prize, which if you've never read it is about a, a eight billion page history of the oil industry. And so, you know, that that would be my my advice is is get mentors within the organization. And and by mentors, you know, a lot of people think of mentors as being somebody who is, they're much older than me that, you know, and we have these very formal meetings and they, they tell me how I'm supposed to do things. And I, I think that's kind of a flawed approach. I mean, I have countless mentors for lots of different things, some of whom are years younger than me. One example that I do have from my ExxonMobil days of, Uh, A mentor is uh, actually a guy named Hank Sarno, and I I told him I was going to drop his name. Hank is a a former police detective, and uh, I got thrown into a very big information brokering case very early in my career as the lead investigator. And I really didn't know my up from down at that point. I hadn't done many investigative interviews. Like I said, you know, I was recruited right out of grad school. And so I didn't have the, the on-the-ground experience that a lot of people did. And so Hank helped me through that investigation by really just letting me observe the way that he interviewed and helping me understand, you know, how you set the stage for this type of interview. And, and it was really interesting because he was, Hank was one of those people who, made that transition beautifully from law enforcement to corporate security he had this whole process of going in and kind of being disarming uh, when he talked to people even people who we knew based on the evidence that we had we knew this was our bad guy you still go in with a smile and you have the conversation and by the time you're done if you follow the process and you you really work through it and understand it then you're able to get what you need without that really strong arm approach i wanted to kind of dive in
0: there about the specific meetings you had there with when you would be sitting beside hank what kind of things would he do during a like a corporate investigation that might be different from something in law enforcement in in those types of situations
1: i think it probably is is a whole lot of different kind of micro actions i would say as opposed to to a, a totally different approach uh, because at the end of the day, an interview is meant for discovery. It's meant to gather information, to to or confirm information or disconfirm in some senses. One thing that I really took away from him that I, th- I think has benefited me whenever I've done interviews, whether it's interviews with you know a witness or a suspect or whoever, is setting the expectations right away. Here's what we're doing. Here's why we're here. You're participating in this. I, w- I would say. of your job to help us find a b and c our goal is to make sure that everybody here is safe and secure in their jobs and we're going to ask you a few questions about that and we're going to have a conversation about it and usually that works pretty well i mean you always get people who just absolutely positively just decide that they don't want to play ball which i've experienced as well but that that was that was one thing that that hank did he had this way and i i've Never been able to do it as well as he did. By the end of the conversation, it's almost like the, the person being interviewed has, has kind of backed themselves into a corner, but they're still happy to tell you exactly what happened. And I, I think a lot of that is keeping it kind of unemotional. And making sure it's non-adversarial as well. It, eventually, if you're interviewing a suspect, you have to get somewhat adversarial. You know, did you do this on this date? And the idea is by the time you get to that point, you've given them kind of a, an opportunity to justify their action. And usually when people justify their actions in their own head, they feel very free to admit it. And that's actually that that particular Psychological reaction is something we've, we've added in our software as well. That's part of the, the psychology behind it is that once people feel comfortable with, with things in their head, they're, they're more willing to just say, yes, I've, I've done that because it's okay.
0: You mentioned technology there, and I think that's a good segue to one thing that you're working on quite a lot of is how are you using or how do you see security practitioners using technologies to not just conduct investigations more efficiently, but also improving that employee experience uh, for the for the rest of the business?
1: So I, I guess there's a, a lot of different ways. So I'll stick to what I know, which is the investigative interview piece, because that's, that's the piece that forensics focuses on the most. What I noticed in my time in corporate security is that there's there's quite a few things marketed to security folks most of them are around physical security you know cameras locks bulletproof cars all that fun stuff there's not a whole lot of i would say tools that assist you in the actual interview which the investigative interview is a really time consuming unscalable monster of a thing that can just inflate to, to basically fill whatever time frame you have. I always, I've, I've had this kind of, I don't know if you would call it inclination is probably the best way I can put it, to try to, to use technology as something that can help you do more with the same resources. And it's, I was, I was a journalism major as an undergrad, and then I was a criminal justice I had a criminal justice master's so I was never formally schooled on anything technology but when I first started working for Exxon one of the things I noticed was the program they used to report security incidents was really bulky and hard to use and you couldn't use it across international borders and like people were sending these huge files and this was back in you know like 2001 when a huge file was a really bad deal because it could take days. I took that as kind of like a wow you know we could change this. You know, we could, we could use technology to fix this. We ran a project and we did. And that kind of gave me the bug to use technology in ways that could, could help us scale what we were doing and help us collaborate on what we were doing. And I've taken that into kind of, I I would say my post-corporate life in incorporating that into what forensics does, which is an, an automated online interview. The way that that scales and, and, helps investigators is that it takes away a big part of the the time-consuming and resource-heavy part in that being an automated interview, it covers the things that a professional investigator and an organizational psychologist would cover. One thing about investigations is that, and investigative interviews especially, is that there are very different skill sets to investigators, you know, I mentioned when I first came on at Exxon, you totally green, didn't really understand how investigative interviews worked. And if you threw me into a room 14 years later with the the younger me, I would have torn him to shreds, you know. And it's, but that's the way that it works. Is you know, investigative interviews, and and this is true with with so many things, but I'll focus on what I know. You know, with investigative interviews, you have to have the actual experience. To, to get better at it. You have to have failed a few times to get better at it and made the mistake to understand, I don't want to make that mistake again, or I can't make that mistake again because I know that it will blow a hole in my case. And see, the thing is, I mean, there's, there's so many different ways of interviewing people. You know, and I'm, I'm just talking about interviews that are really, I would say, investigative in nature. You're necessarily going to be talking about things that may be embarrassing to the interviewee, and may actually be a little bit uncomfortable for the interviewer to ask, um, especially if that interviewer is is not very seasoned. Well, you know, tell me about the time you stole the Uh, so-and-so. Actually, you know, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's okay. And that's exactly what we decided to do at Forensics when we developed this automated interview. You are able to have a follow-up conversation that's now much easier and much more straightforward for the interviewer for the interviewee, it's much less embarrassing because they've just been answering some things on a screen. It's, it's awkward at first. It's very awkward at first. And especially if they decide they're not going to play ball. I mean, when I was I had one more Exxon story and then I'll stop, you know, when I was, I was the security advisor in London for a while, and we had this case where a laptop was stolen from, you know, this, this research and development area. And, you know, at first, you know, the, the, person whose laptop it was didn't want to help me out. And he was like, no, I didn't have any proprietary information on that. I was like, you literally work for R&D. Yeah, like it's all kind <laughs> of proprietary. I don't believe that. <laughs> and then uh, we had this engineer who happened to work like a few offices from where the laptop disappeared. And he was a bit older and he had been with the company for a long time. No matter how nice I was in asking for an interview, he absolutely patently refused to sit down with me. He was not a suspect by any means. And I told him, I was like, look, I just need to get some information. Totally refused. By the time everything had kind of settled, I didn't know enough at the time to really understand how to navigate that. It ended up getting escalated way beyond what it should have to where you had, you know, the the head of security and the head of research and development butting heads at that point. So that's, that's an example of how it can just get a little bit out of control if you if you don't manage it correctly. Uh, Well, Russ, we're coming up
0: on all the time that I promised to steal from you today. Uh, What is the big takeaway you want listeners to remember from our conversation?
1: I think probably that security professionals need to keep a growth mindset. There's a lot that's been changing fast for a while. If you do an Indeed search for security positions, you're gonna come up with a ton of information for security positions for information security but not so much for physical security. There's a lot that's really being merged there um, in the physical and information security realm. And what ends up happening is a, a lot of times, you know, the the physical security folks will they'll come on board and they'll kind of ignore the information security piece and, and vice versa as well. You know, I've seen plenty of information security professionals come on and they get, they get responsibility for the physical security stuff and it always plays second fiddle. I think, you know, whichever camp you're in, you need to keep a growth mindset and understand that, yes, there are threats to physical assets and people and reputation, but there are also threats to information. And a lot of times the threats don't necessarily come from the same place You have information threats that can impact people you have physical threats that can impact information i would say that's probably that's a line that's going to get blurrier all the time and a good way to navigate that and a good way to keep that mindset is to keep a clear line of communication with your upper management and your ceo if you're a security director you should feel totally comfortable walking into your ceo's office and saying hey here's what's going on right now. That's really interesting. And how can listeners get in touch with you? Uh, they can find us on the forensics website, www.forensics.com. It's uh, kind of a combination of the word verified and forensics. For those of you wondering what the name means. And uh, also you can find me on LinkedIn, Russ Law. And uh, yeah, I'd love to talk to any of your listeners who'd like to know more. All right, Russ, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate the opportunity. Again, that was Russ Law, founder and executive
0: vice president at Forensics. That's a wrap on this week's show. Never miss an episode by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about building a successful threat intelligence program, check out our site at liferap.inc.com. That's liferap.inc.com. See you next time.